Well, hey there, partner. You're looking mighty wet this evening. Why don't you come sit on down next to America's bonesiest podcast, The Pod People, and we can dry off together. I'm I'm Mephist Van Rossum. I'm Ben Sheets, but you can call me Mr. Bones. I want to get off your wild ride. Never. And I'm mad. And I'm coming. And I'm Cleveland Mosher. And I'm drinking bone broth. Bone broth and all. Bone broth. That's right. This episode brought to you by InfoWars. <laughs> no. Bone broth. <laughs> no, no, no. Bone broth. Bone broth and all. Well, we're back. We're talking about the brand new Luca Guadagnino film. You want to do that one again? Luca Guadagnino. Guadagnino? Yeah, Luca Guadagnino. I'm just clowning on him. He's a pretentious Italian man. Oh, okay. I like his movies. I know how to pronounce his name. I was putting the feelers out for if it was okay to clown. It's okay to clown. It's okay to clown on Italian people. Uh, but he's he made a new movie, Bones and All. We just got back from the theater from Seentut, and we're going to talk about it. We've talked about Luca on this podcast before, when we talked about Suspiria. He did the 2018 Suspiria remake, which is one of the more contentious films on this podcast. Cleveland and I really like it. Ben really doesn't. I think this is going to be a less contentious one. Yeah. I think we all liked this one. Loved? Yeah, uh, you know, with a couple small reservations that keep it from, like, being a masterpiece, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I I loved it. Uh, It it might be one of my favorites of the year. I'm still trying to muddle some stuff out that... I'm. Uh, I, I figure I'll have a, a stronger opinion on it by the time we get to the end of this. It's gonna be a tough pick of favorites this year. It is. There's been a lot of good stuff this year, and this is a, a this is a late contender. This is a late contender. Yeah. Same, same with the menu. We saw that last week. We'll, yeah. We'll talk about it at some point on the podcast. It'd be a fun one to cover. Yeah. 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 We don't have time in our schedule to get to it this year, but uh, that was a, a, another good one that we saw Great. recently. Yeah, I really like that. But yeah, so this is this is a, a new film from Luca Guadagnino. It's based on a novel, also called Bones and All. I've forgotten the the writer's name. The screenplay for this one was uh, co-written by Luca Guadagnino and also uh, David Kajganich, who we talked about recently, who wrote the screenplay for The Invasion. Oh, yeah. Wait. The, the, the bad the bad invasion of the body snatchers remake with Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman. Oh. He wrote the screenplay for that as well. Well, as well as this one. They've had a, a decade uh, of tons of time, and you know he also he also he also co-wrote the Suspiria screenplay as well. And I think he was one of the head writers on the first season of The Terror. Oh well, uh, I which do love that too. Is one of my favorite yeah. uh, that first season, at least one of my favorite uh, television shows of the last several years. Same, I never got around to it, but the first one is just so, so good. good. Um, and this this film comes with a with an all star cast: our boy Timothy Chalamet, Twink the Knee, Twink the Chalamet, uh, Taylor Russell, Mark Rylance, uh, very <laughs> small. Chloe Sevigny part. It's yeah. kind of weird. She showed up for like two minutes. Uh, Jessica Harper. It's still an Jessica Harper. A small role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of really good actors in this movie. A lot of really great performances. It's a uh, sort of 
coming of age romance I feel cannibal like this is flick. kind of a, a breakout film for Taylor Russell in a lot of ways. Like she had that lead role in the Escape Room movies, oh, which I thought were pretty good. Yeah, but I only saw the first one. I thought it was very okay. I forgot yeah, she was in both that. Both of them are okay. They're fun, not amazing movies, but you know, fun popcorn flicks. Mm. Um, but those aren't like serious, like role roles. Role yeah. roles. Yeah, exactly. And this, she was given a lot, and a lot yeah. of the film lies on her shoulders and i think she does a great job carrying the film you know obviously with the support of a fantastic supporting cast yeah lots of lots of other very good actors she and timothy chalamet really really carry the movie but uh mark rylance is a is a really incredible performance as well we'll talk about him this movie is uh I feel like very reminiscent of 70s films in a lot of ways. It's set in like the mid to late 80s, but like the pacing, like the visual style, all of that stuff like reminded me very much of like films from the 70s that I really like. Got big uh, Badlands vibes. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It Bonnie and Clyde. Very, yeah. Uh, Malick-esque at times. Yes. Yeah. Something- you know, at first when I saw the trailers for it, my mind kept going to near dark. Yeah. Especially yeah. with the Mark Rylance character, it feels very much like that. But the movie does not carry that nearly as much because it's more light and sprawling, I think. Yeah, than... it. I think it's more optimistic than near dark is mm-hmm. um, in general. But, you know, there is some some of the same DNA there. They're both kind of movies about outsiders like looking for family and for a place to belong because they can't fit in with normal people and that it's vampires and this it's cannibals the comparison isn't wrong i don't think i'll tell you what it really felt like to me minus the tone um and like the gore and the the subject matter this is going to seem like an insult but it really is meant like in a compelling and earnest way but it felt like ya like sure. it, mm. it felt it felt like a young like like a lot of young adult novels I I read growing up where you know she's a young adult she's coming of age she's she's going out she's learning about the world um she has a weird mystery with her family that she's trying to uncover she's trying to find a parent in some capacity there's there's a lot of hallmarks that are common in YA she's here. falling in love she's falling in love um you know there are mentor figures and other figures that you know like both are are earnestly good and try to take advantage of her in different ways there's a lot of metaphors for that i think there's a lot of great themes there and i think that they're all executed beautifully there's another thing it reminded me of um and that is uh there being sort of a, a dark under society of different people and there's a couple of weird rules. This is what I want out of Stephen King material. I was going to say, is, this reminds me of a Stephen King story a lot as but well. But it's so much more grounded. Minus, yeah, way and, more grounded, minus... Oh, and it's so much better all of for the, it. Like, well, I mean, honestly, the especially, like, the Mark Rylance character reminded me a lot of, like, the villains in Doctor Sleep. Sleep. The tree yes, knot. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And I like this just so like, much just better. Like way, <laughs> just like way, way more grounded. Like, I like Dr. Sleep. And, and I'm believable. a Dr. Sleep defender. Like, but... That's what I love about, like, um, of course. And, like, it, Dr. Sleep is fun. But, like, this is, I, I think it makes it my comparison for, like, I compared Dr. Sleep to Harry Potter for a reason. 
And I think that this better exemplifies where I was going with that. Because, and again, that's fine. And, and it's fun. And I, and I like it. And it's very approachable. Um, and there's some cool sequences in Doctor Sleep. But in respect to this character with Scully, like, he's got, like, a weird long ponytail, a weird kind of, like, old school tiny fedora with the feather in it, and, like, a, a, a weird coat covered in metals. And he's got a... Pins, yeah. Pins, yeah. And he's got a strange, soft southern accent. And he looks he looks like a character, and he... he acts like a character out of the 50s um and it's He's like a weird old drifter yeah, yeah and that's such a stephen king character yeah totally and but minus the cannibalism it sort of stops there like everything is real you yeah. know that he does that he interacts with and so like i felt really taken in and fascinated by the character and and i felt in in a in a personal and real and grounded way that I just couldn't do with the true knot. Like, sure. that, like, like, and, and with like a lot of those other, well, yeah, the true knot are psychic vampires and there's, Which is cool. there's, uh, they have like invading each other's dreams and doing psychic battles and shit like that, yeah, like which is like, which is like fun and cool and whatnot. This is like so much more stripped back and like, yeah. and like in the real world. But I still mean, this is weird and this, still, you know, unique. And that's, what's cool about it. This is, this, this movie is like just barely like magical realism kind of in like that. There's these people who are born with a biological need to consume human flesh. They can smell each other so they can recognize each other in the wild but where they come from, all that kind of stuff it is seems to be passed down by generation. Yeah, we we do learn that it does seem to be generational. But why these people are like this, where they come from, the origins of this curse or whatever it is, totally like not important to the film. Yeah. So it's never it's never addressed. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's a metaphor for trauma, right? Like, yeah carrying that trauma with you yeah and it, you like know. every movie these days it's a metaphor for trauma yep. uh except it's not too heavy-handed in this movie well yeah. what made it work is that the film like if you strip away the metaphor it still works just great on its own two legs it and, works it works fine literally yeah. but it is yeah. not really and about the cannibalism also so yeah and also like because of like how personal personable and how relatable the film is um it allows you to kind of graft a lot of metaphors onto it to the degree where I would almost call it allegory. Mm. Um, and I, I like that. Like there's, there's a lot of, you know, and I get like trauma is very broad. Mm-hmm. It's a very broad topic, you know, whether it's, um, you know, like the, the trauma experienced in violence or from like molestation. Yeah. Right. And like the movie gets into a lot of both. Of yeah, those things. I and, think I think more so than anything too. Like even past trauma, the cannibalism is really just sort of like a broad metaphor for like a sense of otherness, of like not belonging, yeah. of like living on the fringes, like not being able to integrate with other people for whatever reason that may be. And I think that that's really like I think you can put a lot of things onto that, and like through what we learn about a lot of the characters, you sort of see what they represent in others. Like at the end with Timothy Chalamet's story about like his his abusive father and killing him and stuff like that, you know. But also like Marin Taylor Russell's character is not like 
a particularly like traumatized character or anything, you know. She was just born this way, you know, like all of these people and at a certain point her dad, her father reaches his wits end and doesn't know how to help her anymore so he just up and leaves and leaves her like a a tape being like you know hey i'm gonna tell you everything i know about this but i can't do it anymore you gotta figure it out for yourself Mm -hmm. that's sort of like the inciting incident of the film that sets her on her her road trip journey of discovery it felt really powerful to see the character and have it shown how he earnestly does care. And they, they give it just enough time and wait for you to get a sense that he really is trying. Yeah, he doesn't seem like and a he, he doesn't seem like a neglectful or bad father or anything like he that. He just earnestly can't. He just doesn't see know her, what to do anymore. Yeah. Anymore. And I I I found that to be very um pretty heart wrenching. Um earnestly. I would also just say at this point too that like Go go see this movie. Like yeah. I highly recommend sure. seeing it. And yeah, it. it I mean, I, spo- I spoilers, obviously, but this is also a movie that I don't feel like is particularly ruined by spoilers. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the like the narrative steps are fairly straightforward, predictable at times, yeah. but it's not pretty this common is a, for, you know, yeah. romantic movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of sort of cut and dry in a lot of ways. So I don't think that it's really trying to be like um, a twisty and turny. So like obviously go see it if you want to see it unspoiled. We're gonna be getting into spoilers yeah, pretty quickly. About, uh the the backstory of her and her dad. I really love how the her backstory is told through like sort of oral history. Yeah. You know, it leaves a lot up to the imagination and keeps us in the present, which I thought was early. Well, I like how oral I like how they don't important word. I like how they don't give it to us all at once either. Like when he runs off, he leaves her an envelope with like her birth certificate, a couple of hundred dollars in cash and like a cassette tape. And as she sets off, she's listening to the cassette tape little by little as he's sort of telling her about her childhood because she apparently doesn't remember any of these instances where uh, she attacked and ate people as a child. Um, And so, like, we get it in chunks because she's not all listening to it at once. She'll listen to it for a little bit until, like, she can't anymore and she'll stop it. And then we get on with the movie and some some stuff happens and then later on she'll be driving or on the bus again or something and she'll listen to a little bit more. So we're like getting bits and pieces of her story like throughout the course of the film rather than just like in one big exposition dump while she's riding the bus at the beginning. Pacing is so important to it. Mm-hmm. And I want to dig into that because a second ago I... I... Uh, touched on what Ben was saying as well uh, that like so much of this film is about like oral history is about storytelling because that's how you share your trauma right a lot of this film takes place during the after the facts Um, like there's plenty of kill sequences there's plenty of whatever else there but like every time we meet someone new we get a little bit of their backstory. And there's a moment where they you, they sit down, there's a sitting down and there's a sharing yeah. of some kind. Um, and 
I think it's especially important because like Scully's character like puts a lot Sully. of weight Sully. on it. Sully. Yeah. Scully's X Files. Yeah, not not <laughs> X Files. Uh, um, uh, very different. Sully. Sully. Uh... Sully puts a lot of weight on that as well. Yeah. In particular, yeah. and I'm I'm sort of realizing this as I'm talking through it, but um, yeah, that that moment. Like, you know, after that kill where they're sitting down and they're both drying. Yeah, know, they're they're, they're drying off together, like he says to her later. Yeah. We dried off together. And there's a... I've never done that with anybody before. Right, and it's... That was because he showed vulnerability there because mm-hmm. he opened up to her. And that's about all the... We don't get a lot of that character because he's so pent up, because he's so, like, isolated. Um, but the other characters are all very are relatively willing to share after a little prodding or when they're comfortable and they're ready to talk. Um, I, for instance, really love the, sorry, we're, we're jumping all over the place, but I love the encounter with the two Hicks, uh, where the one's a cop and the one that isn't. One of whom is played by David Gordon Green. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, really good character part. I wish there had been more. He doesn't really have many lines. The other one does most of the talking. Yeah. David Gordon Green does mostly just sits yeah, there. The but... other actor, um, he's been in a number of things. I think mostly period stuff I've seen him in. Yeah, he looks kind of familiar. Him. I didn't recognize his name. Um, yeah, we can we can look it up in a second. But yeah, I was just looking. At I it love a second I love ago. like he he's uh, he gained a lot of weight for Michael the part. Michael Stuhlberg. Yeah. Stuhlberg. Um, no, I. There's a few there's a few roles I've seen him in that I've I've really enjoyed. But he's um, in like a, he was in Call Me by Your Name. He was in a Serious Man, Shape of Water, Boardwalk Empire. He's really good in Boardwalk Empire. Um, <laughs> Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. He's been in a lot of stuff. He was in the Fargo show. I don't remember who he was in that. Anyway, yeah. sorry. So I love. Um, yeah, it seems like he put a lot of a lot of like heavy weight for this role because he like he really fills out that chair when he sits down it in his big overalls, and he's a very intimidating character. Mm. And I, I I really like that his interaction with those characters is is kind of like the, uh, um, it's it's very Odyssey, like where he sort of stops and he tells their story. They're introduced with tension. Our two protagonists are sitting there talking, having an intimate moment, and then the camera like. There's a sting, and the camera like whips to the side as their car pulls up, you know, because they're just out in the middle. Yeah, of it's, and it's it's not a whip pan; it's a slower pan. Yeah. But like, yeah, you there's, hear there's, something, and then you see the car. Pull yeah, it's, up. it's yeah. kinetic, and it's 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 tension building. And they come up, and it's like you know, we don't know if they're friendly or not, yeah. but they've got a case of beer and they want to hang out. But you know, you never know if it could go south in a movie like this. And then there's a shit of sitting down, and there's a sharing, and um. They do still try and leave, and he's just kind of chase after them and hoot and holler at them. But you get the sense that he's more just kind of having fun. Well, all of these these cannibals, the eaters, as they call themselves in the movie, like, they don't... The whole thing is that, like, mostly they're loners. They don't encounter many others like them. So when they do, there's that urge to, like, connect and share because it's like, hey, you're like me. But with those two characters, it's sort of like, well, maybe we're not like you because like they see, well, the, the one, uh, uh, is like, he very much like accepts who he is and like revels in it. And he tells the story of how he met David Gordon Green's character. And we find out through that story that David Gordon Green 
is not quote unquote an eater. He's not one of them. He's not Yeah. But he's likened to a groupie. Right. But he does eat people. But he doesn't have like the need for it like they do. He can't smell others like they can. He is like still an other and he just does it because he likes it. Because it's fun for him. So, especially for Marin, like, that is very othering and, like, scary for her. Like, she... Why would you want to be in this? Like, yeah, because... I, I never chose... That's what I she's been lie. coping with. Yeah. She's like, this has cost me everything. My mother disappeared when I was little. Now my father has abandoned me because he can't deal with this. Like, why would you want to be like this? You know, yeah. and for someone to choose to be like that. And I mean, throughout the movie, it's very clear that being an eater is a very lonely and sad yes. existence. You know, I, Sully it's, is the is the example of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, they make it clear that, you know, you really if you're an eater, you have three options. It's continue eating kill yourself or go into an institution or lock yourself up yeah. yeah and uh yeah that's just a very depressing outlook so to see someone who voluntarily you know eats people is yeah. uh is just messed up it's like a want like yeah. a wannabe kind of yeah it's like why would you want to be like that so yeah that's they leave in the middle of the night and yeah they do kind of like chase after them a little bit but not not really. Yeah, he just kind of runs down the road and howls at Yeah. Him. Well, I mean, he's drunk. Like... He's stumbling. You know, they've been, yeah. they drank the whole case of beer. Yeah. So. But it seems more like he's just having fun at it. Yeah, in a, maybe. In a, in a horrifying way, but, you know, like, he's not, like, chasing them down to the, to the ends of the earth, you know. That, right, that's yeah. We don't, see, we don't see them again after that. Right, yeah. yeah it's, it's an odyssey kind of movie. Yeah, you know, very they, much they so. They encounter the Cyclops. Mm-hmm. They encounter the oracles they encounter whoever and i i I like that a lot like um i I tend to like these sorts of like hero's journey odyssey kind of films and this is this definitely falls in there again one of the many tenets of of ya but unlike ya the stakes are a lot higher because it's hard it's still a it's still a fucking horror movie so while it does fall to those tropes i always knew like okay i can see how this is going to go but it could well go south yeah, because it is it is a horror movie. So like, it has all the framing of of a of a young adult story or like something lighter, but it it very much so isn't. And and I like that. It, it's the same kind of thing well, I like about Game of Thrones. And I stuff. think it's I think it's all of them. Like it's mm-hmm. it is a horror movie, but it's also not just a horror movie. Like for big chunks of the movie, like the horror is very secondary. Mm-hmm. It really is like I'd say primarily it's it's a coming of age story mixed in with like your sort of traditional kind of romance Mm -hmm. um, with, with a, a backdrop of horror that, that makes it sort of macabre and dark uh, in, in a really nice way, but also like, it's very pretty movie too. I really like that. I will say like one of my problems with Suspiria, the remake is it feels a little, pretentious um in that you know it's very focused on the art world you know mm. it's on dance world especially uh Luca this, Guadagnino you know, is pretty pretentious yeah, as, a, pretty as an pretentious. artist I think but I think setting it in Americana and the Midwest 
takes it down to a more approachable, yeah. less pretentious level. Um, well, it's everything about it is entirely on the outskirts of society. Mm-hmm. It's always on like back roads and highways and like every everywhere they stay, every house they stop in is like kind of run down, lots of peeling paint, like very dreary, like none of it feel it all feels like very disconnected from the real the quote unquote the real world, the rest of the world, which I think is perfect for like where these characters exist because that's how they have to exist because they can't be a part of the rest of society. Yeah. Yeah. All the tableaus of these different small cities, mm-hmm. you know, at times it feels a little kitschy. You know, it feels like you're looking through a photo book of uh, still lifes from flyover country or whatever. Sure. But I think it works well for what this movie is going for. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I actually really appreciate how lived in the world feels. You know, it's the movie is softly set in the 80s mm-hmm. um they don't overemphasize anything literally the only reason i even could confirm that it was at least the mid 80s is because in one shot when they get out of the truck i saw just in the background on the on the bumper there was a, a reagan bush 84 bumper sticker that's, that's how that's, you fucking set that is literal like your story. N- nowhere else in the movie does it like directly date itself? I guess there well, is like the beginning she's looking when at the phone book, like kiss. No yeah, phone book. well, I mean, like you the... can you can tell that it's not set in present day. Yeah. I was thinking that it was like the late seventies, mm-hmm. um, but I guess there is that uh, really? yeah. that part at the very beginning uh, where her dad is watching that Rudy Giuliani interview on TV. Yeah. I don't know that. enough well, to also, set like, that perfectly on the shelf. In the background, uh, he goes through the the records and he gets really excited about Kiss. Yeah, yeah and, Kiss um, was that, before Kiss that was dude pretty has an Iron Maiden uh, poster in the yeah, background. And I love all that stuff, but it, um, yeah. Well, what I like about it too is, is because so much of it is set in rural America. Um, it can be a little hard to tell because I mean, shit, T's like we, we grew up in like the you know the the South, and like there is yeah. there is a degree of like things being roughly a decade behind. Yeah, totally. Um, and uh, I mean, so, anywhere outside of like a major rural. city is, yeah, is yeah. always going to kind of be like that. And yeah. and so like it's sort of lost out of time a little bit, or at least it's lost out of being current. Yeah. And and so. It, well, yeah, we can certainly tell that it's not modern day. Right. But... And so it's like even though like we're we're child we're children of the nineties. Like for me, I still found it to be very nostalgic and relatable, and not like sure. secondhand nostalgia, but just earnest firsthand. Yeah. Like all of the rural stuff felt. Yeah, like, I, I was, like, constantly in and out of, like, weird, dreary-looking houses like that in my childhood. It felt so earnest. And I wasn't expecting that, because I know, like, isn't Timothy Chalamet, like, isn't he, uh, French? I think French-Canadian. Yeah, okay. maybe. I yeah. I don't know. I don't know for sure, though. But, like, the the accent that he affects is perfect. I mean, that's just his real yeah, voice. That's, his voice. that's just really? his voice, yeah. Yeah, well, it's great. He's I, American. American, American. I was gonna say, yeah, I like. Obviously, his name is very French. His sure. family is probably French originally, but uh, yeah, I could have sworn he's he's an American. Apparently, uh, it it was discovered not long after Dune came out 
that he used to run a semi-popular YouTube channel back like when he was a teenager that never showed his face, but that did uh, custom Xbox controller paintovers. I forget how somebody <laughs> figured that out, but somebody on the internet somehow linked that to him. And in some interviewer during the Dune press cycle was like, yeah, this is like a rumor going around on the internet that you were actually like this YouTube channel. He was like, oh, how do people, f yeah, that was me. How did people figure that out? <laughs> That's so cool. I love that. Yeah, it was fun little uh aside that's really neat but uh i mean yeah he but with a name like like timothy chalamet you know yeah chalamet yeah. is fancy as shit but no he he does a killer job i know he's really good in this i yeah, you know he's he's kind of a fun a fun actor to clown on a little bit but I, he's actually very good he's i extremely think good. he's a very good actor he's doing a wonka yeah well i fully expect that to be garbage yeah yeah but i don't think that he's gonna that he'll necessarily be at fault for that movie sucking yeah i'm i'm, I'm a wonka out, origin story i'm just holding out a tiny bit of hope that he can he can do like a young gene wilder with it they're not gonna no. go that route i don't know he's kind of twinky like i think yeah but the filmmakers are not gonna yeah. go that route yeah. they're not gonna go that route <laughs> God. I would well, love I would love to see it, but that's not what it's. I mean, I'll eat my words if it comes out, and that is yeah. what it is. It's, but it's, it's one of those funky things where it's like, absolutely going to be closer original... in spirit to the Tim Burton Willy yeah. Wonka. Uh, the Tim Burton one is so bad. It sucks, it, but I gar I guarantee I put so. money on it that it's going to be closer in tone to I that think, yeah. than to than to the Gene Wilder one. All right, we'll see. But yeah, <laughs> I am I'm a tiny bit optimistic, but I I don't think it can be as bad as the Tim Burton one. So I'm not no, about that's it. such a low bar. Yeah. yeah, but I, I yeah, I'm a little hopeful. I'm a, I'm a little hopeful. I think as a you know, if we, anyone could do a young Gene Wilder kind of character, I think he could do it. I'm just ready I'm for not Dune very optimistic. Two. Yeah. Yes. Well, Dune Two. Yeah. I'm just ready for um, Dune Part Two. Give me more Paul Muad'Dib. Is, is the Emperor? I'm so um, ready. Certainly, back to the movie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we uh, we mentioned this is based on a book, and it feels like structurally. It's very clear that it's an adaptation. Yeah. Because... I was thinking the whole time we were watching this, I bet this was based on a book. Yeah, like, you almost have points where you feel like, oh yeah, that's the end of that chapter. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it does It does sort of like almost divide itself into chapters with like the states. Okay. Like as they're traveling, there's always, like it'll always superimpose like what state they're in. Yeah. And those those sort of serve as chapter marks mm -hmm. uh i wouldn't be surprised if the actual novel does that with it with its chapters yeah and i i feel like it makes sense you know for an adaptation to do that mm -hmm. i will say one of my few minor criticisms of this film is it is very sprawling and so because of that you have a lot of subplots that you know kind of tie it back into the main story and some of those subplots, I feel like, either end too soon or overstay their welcome a little bit. Hmm. Give um, an example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the first example I have is one that doesn't quite go as far as I might have mm. liked is her seeking out and finding her mom. 
Oh, really? Yeah. That's sort of like the main plot of the whole movie. Well, that's, that's the sort first, of like the, the first yeah. like half, essentially, because after that, that that resolves about halfway through. Well, no, I think it's more the, like Ben. I mean, like a big a big part of the Odyssey is like him returning home and handling all of that. Like, is the resolution. And there's still, like, a climax of itself in all of that part. And this is very similar in that respect, to where, like, they pick a state and they settle down. Like, the climax doesn't, like, the 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 ghosts of his of his journey, like, or of her journey, like, still have to have I, to return. Well, of course. That's, but, that's but, like, all the, of the subplot. The, the, that's the, not what I'm saying. Like, I'm saying the stuff with her mom pretty much ends. That's, that's the quest. Yeah. It's one of the quests. Well, it's the main quest. It's like the, I, it's what the protagonist is setting out to do. I, I think it does it does go farther than halfway through the film. This is yeah. this is a long movie. It is. It's it's yes. over two hours. It's like two hours fifteen, two hours eleven, something like that. And I think the they resolve the stuff with her finding her mom about an hour 40 in. Mm-hmm. I think you've still got about 30 minutes of the film after that. So, I think it's I think it's over at, it it it's over halfway. There's there's a good amount after though. Yeah, um, like 30 minutes yeah, of think, like of a 2-hour movie. It might have been more than that though because you had all of her on her own and then her coming back to revisit. All of her on her own is like 5 minutes. Then it cuts forward in time. She goes back to Kentucky, links back up with with Timothy, and then they drive for a little while. They have that long scene out in the desert in Nebraska, and then they settle down in in Michigan or wherever. And then the a blank. the the climax climax happens. It's all that all is in like the last thirty minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I just feel like the specificity of it kind of ends directly with the the state institution. Which makes sense for the film, you know? Um, yeah. But I, ahead, I almost w- wish we had a little more of the journey of that. Because a lot of that is put on the back burner until they get close to Minnesota. And then it's brought to the forefront for a little bit with Jessica Harper as the mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then or the grandmother. To, yeah, yeah, the grandmother. And then she goes to the institution... Like those are the two main scenes about that journey, and then it. Yeah, the, well, those are what I'm saying is like sure. I could have. I I wish for a little bit more of that overall. Those journey. are those are the two scenes where there is some kind of resolution around the search for her mom. It's it's sort of the driving motivation for most of the movie, but yeah, once yeah. she meets Timothy Chalamet. And sort of starts her little tryst with him. Like, they go on that little... It diverges a little bit. And she goes back with him to Kentucky, like, where he's from. And meets his sister and all that. But all that is, like... And then... Because he has a ride and means. Like, yeah, he's, sure. He's, he's going to, like, help her on her way. I, yeah. I wouldn't even call it a subquest because, like, it, it it's getting her there. You know, like, it is... It, it, it is like It's her vehicle direct. for getting there. But, like, I think the way I look at the stuff with... Her finally finding her mom. She's the whole time, all she has to go off is she has her birth certificate. She doesn't know anything about her mom. 
but her birth certificate lit, uh, names the town where her mom is from, which is a town in Minnesota. So she, her whole goal is to get to Minnesota to try to find what happened to her mom. Her father abandoned her. Maybe she can find a home with her mother. And she gets there, and she finds her grandmother's home. And through that, she basically learns that her mother, like 15 years prior, uh, admitted herself to a mental institution. Um, and so she goes to see her at the state hospital there. Uh, her mom is, that's the the bit Chloe Sevigny part that's like five minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even have any on-screen lines. She has sort of like a voiceover monologue because she had written uh, Marin a letter that she's reading. In but, that short sequence, a lot of acting. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And and there's a lot of, like, important information that we get in that. You know, we learn that her mother is also an eater, so it is passed down genetically, which is then confirmed later when we find out that Tim- Timothy Chalamet's father was. But that, you know, her mother checked herself into this mental institution and literally ate off her own hands in an attempt to make it so she can't hurt anybody anymore. And, you know, prior to that, she had written this letter for her daughter if she ever shows up. And the letter ends with something to the effect of uh, there's no place for monsters in this loving world. Um, So let me... Uh, let me help take you out of it or something. And she like kind of attacks her and like tries to, to bite her and kill her. And then, and why I think that's a fine place to end that and why there still needs to be movie after that is because that's been like Marin's hope the whole time is that she is trying to get to her mother so she can find answers and a place of belonging. That's what she's been looking for because she's been abandoned by her father. So once that happens, she realizes that's her that's her realization that I can't find a home with my mother. My mother doesn't want me. If anything, my mother wants me dead. I didn't get any real answers about any of this. I didn't find a home. My grandmother won't take me in. So that's her moment where she has to be like, well, I really am on my own. I'm alone in the world and I'm destined to, like Timothy Chalamet says, either become okay with killing and eating people, kill myself, or end up in an institution like my mother. Like, those are my options. And so that is, like, having to see how she reckons with that and what she decides to make of her life after that, it changes the stakes of the film. And that's why I'm okay with, like, the mother stuff wrapping up where it does and they're still needing to be. Sure. I would have loved, like, one more scene giving the mother a little more character. I, I I agree with you. I honestly, I think I would have rather 
had that information, that revelation come through an actual discussion between the two of them instead of her reading a letter while her mother is also in the same room, like not speaking. I wish that that had been like an actual dialogue. I think that would have been a little bit more satisfying. That scene did a bit of a number on me because um, I was pretty well set up by the movie's intent to think that there was some sort of solution coming with meeting the mother. This is a good example of where I thought, like, okay, well, in traditional YA fashion, like, the the curse that she has been imbued with will in some way be solved by, you know, like, completing her quest. You know, like, when she finds, like, already, like, they can smell people. There's something almost, it's low, low, low magic going on right you know, it's it very it's low, it's low grade biology. magical realism but like but, yeah. yeah and and so like there's uh which frankly is like my fucking favorite like, agree so good um but uh there's there's some something going on there so there could be some sort of magic to undo it right there could be some way because at this point like those three options haven't been presented in that same capacity other than just they're just experience mm. but we see her encountering these 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 horrors and we're thinking like yeah there might be like a there could be an end to this Surely there's her. a way out for and, her. And, like, it's like, okay, her mother is in, like, a mental institution, but maybe she has the secret, but it cost her, you know, in, like, a Promethean sense. Maybe there is something uh, that that she can get, because, again, this is the part in the story where a hero gets a magic sword that they can then use to defeat the dragon, because they've they found the secret tome, the secret knowledge that they've been searching for, to, to, to kill the to kill the damn thing, you know? And it, the, in this case, the monster is just this curse. They set it up really well. Like, you you go through the facility, and the lady even says to her, like, well, she used to bite people, and there used to be attacks, but it's she's a lot better now. And I'm like, yo, she's better now. She's going to have some sort of secret. You know, she's going to have something. And when the camera well, pulls around and she's eating both of her arms, it's like, oh, no. Yeah, she's, be- she's oh, better shit. now because she's eaten her hands off, and she's heavily medicated. Yeah, and it's like, oh, that's she's not, not really an answer. better now. Oh, fuck. You know, and she reads the letter, and I'm thinking, like, okay, well, maybe even in the letter, at this point, there could still be some kind of yeah. magic cave or something, you know? And there isn't. It's just nope. Now your mother has to try and kill you too. Yeah. And it's like see, fuck. I don't like, and it sucks and it hurts. And I, I was really moved by that. And I felt like okay, now our hero has to fucking return, you know, either home or just to wherever, you know, in this case, Timothy Chalamet's home, and she has to return to him, changed, and 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 solve that. And she does. And like, I really like how the rest of that concludes there. And she still gets to defeat the monster in some way but it's more just like befriending it you know and like understanding it really like and i think that's cool I, well I mean, I mean it's it's, it's, it's all dour ending but it's accept you know it's it's acceptance, it's acceptance. that's yeah. what it is yeah it's 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 acceptance and, and i don't know the whole core of coming of age you know? right of course it's, it's yeah it's all it's all about acceptance as, as yeah you are. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I certainly, when I was watching this, wasn't uh, doing so from a YA perspective. So I was pretty, like, from the from the get-go, I have pretty much figured, well, either A, she's not going to find her mother, or B, if she does, it's not going to be what she hopes from it. Um, yeah, and, but it it is a teachable moment, very sure. much in the YA tradition. In that, like a lot of fucking YA has, you know, the the love interest die sure. in the movie, 
you know? And I mean, I think, I think what we're kind of stepping over is that, like, I don't think YA is really, like, the right blueprint for this story. It's just that YA takes all of the tale as old as time stories tried and true and distills them down to their most basic simplest most predictable forms to make them easy for young adults to digest and i i I know we've been using it as an example a lot but i do think it i do think it kind of does this film well that's why i've been like kind of bouncing between why and the hero's journey shit i think it's all like boiled down simplest terms i think i think as i think as a character study this film this story is far more rich and complex than the vast majority of YA. Narratively, it's very straightforward. It's very simple. It is at times predictable. I... I mean, we all knew that Sully was going to show back up again at some point, right? But that's the kind of like predictability I find comforting. But yes, I do agree. On the other front, I think Sully's subplot is one that I think, in my opinion, went on one scene too long. I really? Think the oh, scene dude, with him won. showing up in the van mm, interesting. and her confronting her and him kind of having this very revealing, very sad scene where he's, you know, talking about, you know, drawing off with her and yeah. kind of how she would be his daughter's age if he had a daughter. And it it had a, just such a vibe of, like, longing and sadness and loneliness yeah. That I thought, like, that would have been such a perfect scene to end his character with. Mm. You know, I I don't have a huge problem with how that character found his finale, so to speak. Yeah, I, I would. Wanted... I uh, I think that's such a powerful scene. I agree. And to follow it up immediately, you know, with another scene that isn't as strong on mm. his side, character-wise. If anything. If anything, we maybe should have gotten that scene a little sooner than we did, because Sully, we haven't talked about his introduction at all, but he is the first one like her, the first eater that she meets Mm -hmm. very early in the film. And that whole scene is extremely well done. It's very unsettling. It's very creepy. And... Then she sort of, you know, and we can double back to that, but then she's, she runs away from him and he is gone from a very large chunk of the movie, well over an hour before we see him again. And I kept thinking, like, surely, like, there's no way that that is, like, it from Sully. Like, surely he's going to show up again. Yeah somewhere else and he finally does and it's like ah okay there he is but did then I, yeah we get the van hmm did i miss seeing the van from time to time because i feel like they they surely they must have put it they i don't it, but we never really saw it I no i don't i don't know if we ever i mean i'd be curious to watch it again but i don't know if we'd ever seen like the van in other locations the movie has such an attention to detail like putting like little things in the background and stuff to make it feel like period <laughs> so it's like, period accurate and I just, yeah, I would, I would think that they did, and it's, it's, it could be, un, it's such an indiscernible van that I could totally feel like I would have missed it. From but yeah, like he shows up again right after she 
has the scene with her mother and she has the fight with with Timothy Chalamet and runs off and leaves him and then Sully shows up again and is like, Oh hey, I followed you all the way to Minnesota from Maryland. That's not creepy at all, right? I I love the sort of like really unsettling ambiguity of his intentions. Because like you mentioned, he has the thing where she you know He's like, oh, why don't you want to get in the van and take a ride with old Sully? He keeps referring to himself in the third person, and she's weirded out by that. But she's like... For good reason. She's like, I don't know if I'm going to get in the... Like, I'm... Isn't this weird? Like, I'm just a girl. And he's like... And he says, oh, yeah, you know, you're... You're uh, about my daughter's age. If I had a daughter... And she straight up asks him, she's like, is that what this is? And he doesn't answer her. Well, because he's been caught. Right. Well, I mean, that is the thing is like there the entire time, like every scene that he's in, there is that really unsettling ambiguity around his around his intentions. What does he want from her? Because he's not like outright like lecherous towards her he's not like overtly rapey or anything he's a metaphor for it though but let's believe like here's here's the thing right like that i don't know even at the end even at the end i don't know if he really i don't know if he really is i i think i I just i outright write him as a pedophile i think he's very creepy i think he's very very creepy but he had in that especially in that their first meeting like if he had wanted to do something to her, he could have. Well, but he, he didn't. He didn't do anything like sexually with her. But he did like watch this person die and devour. Well, them he with ate. Her. He and, ate like, they somebody engaged in that together. And, and there is like, and, and again, like it's a coming of age story. Like there is part of that allegory involves like the cannibalism to sex. There part. is a sexual as- aspect of it, but. Like, yeah, well, we dried off together. Like we experienced something. He, and he says at the, you know, in that that's, scene later, he's never done that with anybody before. Yeah, and that to me, that 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 implication is, yeah, that like right. But oh, he, I felt vulnerable, you know, like engaging in like this moment of like molestation. It's it's a and it's it like, is well, you know, you might have, but it's that a vul- make it valid. It, like it is a weird vulnerable thing. But my point is, is that he never explicitly tries to sexually assault her. No, no, that would have mixed the metaphor. It It never, like, that's that's what I'm saying, is, like, that's what I think keeps his character interesting because he's extremely menacing, he's very creepy, but also, at the core of it, what we see by the end, is that he really does just want the same thing that she does, and that he wants a place that he can belong. He wants a sense of belonging, and he wants to be loved. Now, what form that love takes is he's, unclear. He's also like horrifyingly straddling her in that. Yes, he says that yes, too, and you know all the rest. Right, but also in that scene, he does just sort of put his head on her chest and just listen to her heartbeat and just kind of like lets her cradle him there it like it is again it's not explicit it has creepy gross undertones but also there is a kind of like sad longing to it that i think makes him more than just an outright creep well i think it makes him like a more (laughs) dynamic creep 
in he's, sense, he's a like, creep. And, and he's a, more, a like, creep for sure. And real one because I think that like that's how I would assume that like a lot of those like horrifying kinds of people would operate, right? Like they still see themselves as like sympathetic people, and that doesn't make them you know like make make that what they do any less monstrous. But like there is like no, a, I'm not a saying justification that. to it. And, yeah, I, I find that to be really uh, compelling and terrifying with with Sully's character. What what I think I have a slight problem with with the the final scene with Sully is. It takes the implications of the scene in front of the van and makes mm. them very direct. It lays them directly in front of you and says, you know that scene before? This is exactly what we met here. Sure, um, yeah. And, you know, I I think it's... Again, narratively, from a narrative perspective, it makes sense. It's a good way to wrap the story up in a tragic way yeah. that feels like uh you know Marin's story is truly complete but at the same time i uh well yeah but i just the, don't that think the, that scene is as strong as their collective is. story the three of them yeah. is brought to an end there yeah yeah you know at, at a certain point i kind of wasn't expecting that scene i was i was sort of expecting it to end a little bit more anticlimactically than it did really um yeah i mean shit there... i was ex- i was expecting it to end at the scene where they were out sitting in the in the plains in nebraska yeah. and he was and timothy chalamet was <laughs> telling the story about how he killed his dad like i was fully expecting yeah. The wide shot of of them um, sitting on that hill with the sky roll credits. Yeah, honestly, there you know, it felt like there were several points where near it could the have end ended. of the movie where it feels like it could have ended. That being said, you know, like I don't think I would have, I wouldn't have hated it if it had ended there. But I actually do think that Sully showing up again at the very end after they've kind of, you know, started making a new life together, him showing up and bringing, like, violence and horror into their life does make for the kind of exciting ending that I think this movie needed. And I think, I thought that whole scene was really well done, just, like, how horrifying and kind of gratuitous it was. Well, also, like, in that world, like, Sully had already been set up to be, like, a horrifying stalker. Yeah. Like, like of course he's going to come back. Like, of course. Like, he should yeah. come back, like, in my eyes. Like, and I and I think, like, leaving... Yeah. If they had left that thread open, I, I, just, I just don't think that, like, any character would have just given up. Yeah. You know, at that point. Yeah, right? I mean he's he is like he is like this sort of elder statesman cannibal who knows more about it than anybody else. Yeah. And he and can he's, and he's, he's like taught him in like weaving this like thing of hair for so long. He's obsessive. Yeah. And like and you know, the collecting all of the pins, he collects. He's, he's a, a collector. collector. And and that's just like serial shows... killers are, Cause yeah. Because he, he is. And like, yeah, yeah and, and so like and that, yeah. that that with that comes all the implications of obsessiveness. I like that too, because in like the introductory scene sure. when he first shows up, you know, like and we learn that he has the ability to like smell people who are dying. Mm-hmm. And he says like that's he doesn't kill people, he just sniffs out people who are about to die 
waits for them to die and then eats them. Like mm. a buzzard. Like a buzzard, exactly. Like an yeah. old buzzard. But then after that, we also see he shows her this this long rope of hair that he's collected from everybody he's ever eaten. So he remembers each one of them. And it's like eight feet long. And then when he does come back at the end and he has her pinned down on the bed and he has the knife at her throat and, you know, she's trying to like kind of sweet talk and being like, you know, Sully, like you said, you know, you're not a killer. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody about you. Like, you said you don't kill people, right? So you're not going to kill me. Once and then again, he, the molestation metaphor. And then he even know, has that tell anybody. He even has that line where he's like, he's like, I used to tell people the truth. But, uh, oh, man, I can't no remember. No one would believe me. No one would take me seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he said. But then I discovered that nobody would take me seriously when I told them the truth. So it's like, yeah, he is just a killer. He's exactly what we thought he is. Ooh. And how terrifying is it that Timothy Chalamet's, uh, or his character's sister's hair is yes. at the end of that weave? Because like we, we, you could recognize her her hairband. Yeah. There. That's, well, that's how that's how he found that shit, that's, that's so how he scary. found them. Yeah. That's how he found because so like they when it does that Ooh. jump forward in time and they're in their apartment and they're you know happy and in love and everything and talking on the phone with his sister and it's like yeah we're in Ann Arbor now come up and visit us and then it's like how did Sully find them well he fucking killed and ate the sister and got it from them yeah. But man, the 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 struggle and the fight when Timothy Chalamet shows back up while he's yeah and like puts the the bag over his head and is like asphyxiating him while she's like stabbing him over and over again, and then when they drag him into the bathtub and he's like still alive and fighting, and she like reaches into one of the knife wounds and starts like pulling out like his organs Mm -hmm. and that's when he finally dies he he pulls his hand up and he tears he he tears the bag open which adds an extra level of suspense oh he can breathe now maybe he can still fight back and then finally well he he does that as she's like ripping out his guts so it's like, yeah, he can breathe. He pulls it off just in time to be able to see her pulling his guts out. Yeah, and, uh, it's, it's yeah, really it's, good, really what lovely in the with the pacing, and yeah. also too, um, and so unflinching and graphic too. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't try to hide how horrifying that whole thing is. Did y'all catch the moments where he, uh, they they gave us premonitions of the sequence in dreams? There's only like oh, yeah. two shots, but there's we get a shot of the room, like the entryway between the bedroom and the bathroom. There's a chair and a table and a box that has a chia pet box in mm. it and something else on top of it. And when she falls asleep earlier in the movie, we get a shot of that interior spot. Yeah, there are a couple yeah. of those kind of dream. Timothy Chalamet has one in the truck when... He's asleep, and she sneaks away and leaves him. In that dream that Timothy Chalamet has, he's killing David Gordon Green, right? No, I think he's... Uh, we it's see a, we a see a, a POV of him like beating somebody to death with a tire iron. I think that was supposed to be... His father. No, because <laughs> in the story he says he took the father out to the barn on the outskirts of town and had him duct taped up for like three days. And then ate him. I think that was supposed to be the guy that he kills outside the convenience store when mm. she meets him. 
We never see him killing that dude. She just comes out of the store later and like sees him and sort of the abandoned building offside coming out shirtless, like covered in blood. We see a number of people and faces. And I think what I actually really liked about the dreams in this is that they use shots from different places and people and also audio to tell sort of an amalgam of things happening at once the way that we dream and we sleep and we kind of spiral out and it's just our brain regurgitating information Mm. um and it's oh is it premonitory or is it just dreams and i i love how like as timothy chalamet is falling asleep you're hearing like boot boots moving and people like dragging someone and there's struggle and we don't know what's happening. And I was wondering, like, oh, did the two guys come back? Did they, like, kidnap Timothy Chalamet? Yeah, that's what what's I thought, going too. On? And, like, dreams are like that, you know? Like, and you're, you're, you're falling out. Um, on that t- subject, with uh, audio, I think the sound design is, like, a really big unsung hero of this movie. Um, there are, often in films, like, when there's dialogue, there might be a little bit of, like, cars passing in the background or whatever or something to kind of, like, help set you in the scene. Room tone. Room tone, exactly. Here, the the texture is given a great deal of thought and focus. Um, like, just sequences, things happening, like, in the background or the street across. Even when we're inside houses, you'll hear, like, uh, for instance, when the, um, our main character is talking to her surrogate grandmother about where her mother is. Mm. You, you just hear a neighbor get... You, you hear an entire story. You hear, like, a neighbor, like, get out of their house, start their car, and, like, head off on their way down to work and shit. Like, there's, like, little things. That, like, you don't see it. It's just in the background that's, like, just telling an entirely separate story that, like, doesn't just put me in the room. It puts me, like, on the block mm. in that world. And, again, it's nothing that special or that crazy, but I, I just... I don't see that, that like... Often, like, sets are so controlled that mm-hmm. to get that level of, like, organic organic depth and detail there was really gratifying. Like, there's just a lot of really good sound design stuff in the movie. Well, in terms of music, uh, I saw in the credits the score was by uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Hot um, Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. I mean, geez, they've done all it's kinds of scores at this point. Yeah, also there's that song. The original song that was sung by Trent Reznor at the very end uh, when, yeah, uh, during the struggle, Sully stabs Timothy Chalamet and it gets his lung and he's dying at the end and he's telling Marin to, to eat him, bones and all. I guess she does kind of start eating him there at the end. It's got this kind of uh, sort of like old Americana style song, which was an original song performed by Trent Reznor, which I thought was cool. The whole score is great, very minimal, like mostly like single guitar, kind of like old country, a, folky a sort of, of noise shuffled into the mix yeah just like a little bit of ambient stuff yeah um, very um, trent Reznor. trent trent nine, nine inch nails Reznor, as elon musk uh, <laughs> calls him um, <laughs> yeah and i i think all of that texture and sound design really works super well yeah. to elevate a lot of the tableaus and kind of like i said still life's a flyover country yeah and it, it grounds them and makes them feel much more real, which is nice. I will say, you mentioned that the guy he kills in the supermarket mm. scene, 
um, in the dream sequence, that might have been that guy. I think that's um, who that was supposed to you be. Know, that, was, like, an that makes me wonder things. if this movie was cut down for time a little bit. Because, hmm. you know, I think Guadagnino is has a habit of being kind of long-winded. Certainly. You know? Uh, all of his movies that I've seen have been over, over two hours. Two hours. Yeah. Suspiria is like and, two hours 40. And, you know, this movie was distributed by MGM. Hmm. So it almost yes, makes it me... Was. It almost yes, makes it me wonder if some of that was cut for time. And I think, honestly, that kind of works to this movie's benefit. I mean, because I think this is... His most accessible film, most likely. Yeah. And uh, stronger for it. Whether it was cut for time or not, I think that the way that it's presented now is very effective. I do like how a lot of the violence in this movie does happen off screen until that encounter with Sully at the very end. I think that makes that sort of more impactful that we don't like straight up see a lot of like the violence and and gore and stuff beforehand. I mean, we do have Timothy Chalamet cutting the dude's throat in the cornfield after giving him a reach around hand job. But the important uh, thing about that is the few times we do see violence outside of that final scene, we see the consequences of right. that violence. Yeah, yeah, we see we see the aftermath of it. And so I think that like in the dream sequence with Timothy Chalamet beating somebody to death with a tire iron like it makes sense that that would be like in his dream since he did it since he engaged in that action especially after you know he's just had the fight with uh Marin about the consequences of like killing people to eat them and stuff like that because that dude they kill in the cornfield they find out had a wife and kid and you know that really sets Marin off so like I think that just like not being directly exposed to a lot of that violence sort of in the same way that like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre like leaves a lot of it up to the imagination like it's really not about the act itself it's about like the implications and the aftermath like that's what's more important uh, I think except for like of course the fight with Sully at the end like that 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 is very much about the action uh, Mm -hmm. because it's it is the ending of two very crucial characters uh, in in the film. Yeah. The, the end of their stories. Uh, so yeah. Now uh, we mentioned it earlier, but uh, with that ending scene with Sully, you know he has his long uh, rope of hair, and yeah. uh, Leo's sister's hair was on it. Yeah, and uh, that was a really impactful moment. What did you think about the use of the sister as a secondary character in this movie? Because she kind of goes in and out, and... Uh... I think she's established enough. I Yeah, I think she's everything she needs to be. Yeah. She is something that ties Timothy Chalamet to Kentucky and to the place where he's from. And to his humanity. And to his humanity. Is that, like, even though he's been out roaming and trying to stay a loner and everything, he is constantly being brought home to his sister, who he loves and who he cares about. And it's important 
because that's how Marin finds him again after their fight. She goes back to Kentucky and she finds the sister and is like, hey, have you seen Lee? And he's like, oh yeah, he's been staying down at this campsite or whatever. And also, it's how Sully finds them in Ann Arbor is through the sister. So she's kind of like, even though as a character, she's not necessarily super crucial to like us as the audience. She's, I think she's a very important kind of linchpin for some of the stuff that happens in the film. Sure, And I think, you know, she's sort of a grounding point. She's, she's a big reason Lee decides to not kill himself. Also. Yes. Also that decides to keep living. And I think the hair, you know, appearing on the rope is a big linchpin in why he asks that uh, Marin eats yeah, they, bones and all. Yeah, she's trying to take him to the hospital, and I think that at that, that point he's kind of just like, nah, like, let, let my death serve a purpose, you know, uh, consume me entirely. And also that's kind of like the ultimate act of love at that point, right? Is for her to take him into her body entirely, every bit of him, bones and all, you know? Because there is nothing left of him in this world. Nothing left that he cares about. So, you know, he wants to be joined with her, basically. I think it's a very uh, it's a very impactful, poignant ending. I will say, I know I understand why they did it, but I kind of wish we had just seen Marin take out the rope of hair and, like, see the sister's hair on it with, like, the scrunchie that we had seen and that we just know that. Instead, like, so the audience gets it. They had to have her taking it over to him and showing it, and he has to have the line, he got Kayla, he got Kayla. That's just one of those things where it's like, I don't think it needs to be said. I think it's much more impactful to just see it. Yeah. And if you don't get it, then you haven't been paying close enough attention to the movie. But that's, I think, but... also why like he just completely gives up and wants to be Yes, yes. I mean, mo- so we, 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 for us, yes. We well, I mean, it's it's fine. It's fine for him. To... It's fine for him to see it. But I'm. Yeah. It's the it's the line that I have the problem with. Like yeah. he got Kayla. No, like it it should like just seeing that hair on the end of the rope should be enough for us to be like, ah, yes, okay, it makes sense. That's bad, but it's a very minor thing. Speaking of minor things, should we write? Yeah, are y'all ready? I'm ready. I'll start, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I really, really loved this movie. Um, I notably have a soft spot for, for cannibal films. Uh, I always really like them for the most part. Um, and just, like, watching this movie the whole time, I was thinking, I was like, man, college me, this is the kind of cannibal film that I wanted to make. And... Uh, I didn't come close, but I'm glad it exists. Uh, this is going to be, this is a five out of five for me. I really don't have any like major problems with to deduct from it. It is a long movie. It's slow. I can see how it's not necessarily for everybody, but I was really engaged and just like absolutely incredible performances across the board. Very human, 
well-written characters, lots of very touching moments, um, and uh, surprisingly overall, I think, optimistic for the type of movie that it is. I didn't walk out of this feeling bad, you know, like it's, even though it ends with a character dying and being eaten by his girlfriend, like there's, it does have kind of an uplifting quality by the end. So yeah, five out of five for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, uh, very similar in that respect when I don't have any strong flaws to, to give a movie, I'm, I'm going to usually give it the best that it can. We're hot off of seeing it. We only just got out of the movie theater. So I've got that, that movie goer high for sure. Um, but you know, it might change over time. I might, I might lower it to a four or 4.5, but for now we'll see how it ages. Fuck it. Give it a five. Ben? Uh, yeah, I think this is my favorite Guadagnino movie, uh, for sure. I liked it more than Call Me By Your Name or Suspiria. I haven't seen I Am Love. Um, but, yeah, this movie was really good. And it's rare that you see a genre blend of horror and romance yes. very often. Especially done well. Exactly. Yeah, especially uh, done well. Particularly done well, and this was done well. I I thought the acting was great and the score and sound design were great like we've been saying it's a little long and uh sometimes uh the subplots either end too soon or go too long for my taste however I would definitely recommend this movie I thought it was really great I'm going to give it a strong 4 out of 5 All right well that will give bones and all an average of 4.7 out of 5 and a resounding recommendation for all three of from all three of us. Uh, it is in theaters right now. There's not a whole lot in theaters right now, so I would definitely recommend checking it out. Although it's like it's not like a spectacle film. It's very pretty. It's very nice looking. It's good. It's a good go see in theater. Grain yeah. to look at for sure. Um, we predicted this movie. Oh, we did. Oh shit! Wow. Yeah. Let's go. So I'll start with collective rating. Uh, I predicted 4, TC predicted 4.2, Cleve, you predicted 5. Oh, so Cleve, you're closest. Cleve, you got that one. All right. I was get... playing it safe, but uh, I should have been true to myself. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, so Rotten Tomatoes, I predicted 90, TC predicted 87, and Cleve, you predicted 77. Currently, it's sitting at 86. Hey! Wow. Nice. Only one off. Um, Yeah, it's still opening weekend while we're recording this, so we don't have uh, finalized box office yet, so we'll touch on that next week. Speaking of next week, what is on the docket for next week? Uh, It's my pick. Ooh. And I actually haven't figured out what I want to pick, so give me one second. (laughs) Please pick a good one. This is the last. This is the last. This is the last years. year of the sequel pick. You know, going in, I was I was a little nervous about the gimmick, but coming out of it, I think there's still a good number of picks we could have gone with. We've covered we've covered pretty much most of the good ones, yeah. and uh, and also some of the bad. ones. You know ones. what? I I am opting to pick something that I haven't seen before. It's my pick. It's not your pick, <laughs> motherfucker. I'm going to pick... You just had a pick. Yeah, you just had a pick. You know what? I want to do a movie that I've been very curious about. doesn't have great ratings, but it is certainly interesting. And that's uh, Candyman 
Farewell to Flash. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. I've been wanting to watch that The Candyman sequel. That's a great pick. Yeah, I'm super down. I'm assuming it is not uh, done by Bernard Rose. No. No, All I care about is if Tony Todd is in it. Yes. Tony Tony Todd is Then I'm excited. She is. I just want to hear more more of... And, oh, Phil Glass yeah. returns. Okay. okay. Well, at least uh, on an auditory level, this this movie the movie is likely going to be. Uh, all uh, right. Uh, well, next week for our final year of the the sequel, twenty twenty two pick, uh, Ben has chosen the Candyman sequel. So we gonna do that. The sponsor shelf sponsor time looms well overhead as well as underfoot because it, it it's so expansive and beyond the depths of time. Blah blah blah. Sponsor. All right. Uh, this week is brought to you by Six Feet of Dirt. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Six Feet of Dirt is all that's between you and that delicious Six Feet of Dirt. You want to get to that Six Feet of Dirt, you gotta dig through Six Feet of it to get to it. Better than Eight Feet of Hair. <laughs> it is. Right? Yeah. How do we feel about that? Alright. Okay, I'm feeling lukewarm on it if i'm being honest but six feet of dirt six feet of dirt thank you for sponsoring this week's episode that will do it for us this week if you like the show leave us a five-star rating on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts support us on patreon at patreon.com slash pod people pod shout out to honorary pod boys sam simon and zach confer if you want to be like them and become an honorary pod boy uh, you can do so at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. We'll also give you access to our Discord server. Um, as of now, Twitter still exists, so we're still on it. At Twitter, Twitter at podpeoplepod, uh, and at letterbox.com slash podpeoplepod, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. I'm still on Twitter at some spooky snake and streaming every month at twitch.tv slash some spooky snake. Uh, follow the podcast on Twitter for uh, when we do Spooky Saturday. That's the best place to get yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. <laughs> and there was this uh, new social media network called Hive. Oh, Hive. I've seen a lot of people popular. hopping on there. I snabbed the at Sheets. Uh, oh, oh, you, you took it from the oh like the like the convenience. Yes. Oh man, maybe they'll try to buy it off you at some point maybe. if Twitter I need goes to down. Posting on it just so I I can be like, oh, I didn't just part. You should, this. yeah. I, they they uh, might they might try to buy your ad off you. That's yeah. honestly clever. Yeah, clever. So follow me on that at sheets with <laughs> on fucking oh, was that mastodon. No, no, no. no. no this is a Hebel, Flebus. The only Mastodon this podcast apps. subscribes to is the band, and yeah. only their output up through Crack the Sky. Yeah. So, Mastodon, like, 15 years ago. Oh, yeah, Mastodon or more. 15 years ago. Yeah. Shout out to Mastodon. 15 to 20 15 years, ago, years ago, the yeah. band Mastodon. Um, I haven't listened to the new stuff. I don't have an opinion. All right. Sounds uh, very good. Well, oh, well. Uh, crack the Sky, fucking banger. Anyway, uh, yes. me. Hi, this is me. Uh uh, uh, doing the thing where I plug stuff uh, yeah. this week. I am plugging the thing I always plug, uh, which is me. Uh, hi, um, I do art wow. for games at Dread XP. Uh, go go to DreadXP.com for games that we have, uh, of which I have worked on some in some capacity or another. Usually art, sometimes QA, uh, mostly art these days. Um, and uh, yeah, most importantly, 
you got like two years to wait, but get hyped for Creep Show. We're, we're doing a Creep Show game, and I'm art directing on it. So get very excited for that. Go go watch the old movies again. Go watch the Creep Show show on AMC. It's surprisingly good. Um, it's great, even. And uh, yeah, that's it for me. Well, thanks for listening. Next time you sit down for dinner, remember to make sure to eat all of your bones. And all. <laughs> <laughs>